nutrition, gut health, mental health, hormones, and so much more. These all play roles in sustainable weight management. So, I scour the globe for top experts in fitness, health, and weight loss to bring to you this podcast. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. Welcome to another episode of the Matter Over Mind Experience. I'm your host, Master Trainer and weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. And it's towards the end of the month, so we know the deal. We're doing another Q&A episode. I answer five questions from listeners and followers or anyone that's emailed me. Sometimes it's questions I get from individuals that know me in the gym or recognize me elsewhere and say, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I kind of wrap them up in the eyes of the bow and make the questions, you know, the answers where other people can benefit from as well. Because I think when we hear questions from other individuals, we can, we start to realize, you know what? I'm not the only one with that issue. And a lot of times the questions that I answer for others can be beneficial to you. So remember, you can email me, narado at zikahealth.com, reach out to my Instagram at zikohealth, however you want to reach out to me and uh, miss it. You can put it in the comment section for all I care. However you want to reach out to me, ask me a question. I will answer the question on the show. and. I will keep it confidential, so I won't say who it is, you know, name or something like that. Just keep it as general as I possibly can. Now, with that being said, let's get started here. Question one is, what advice do you have for someone who is beginning their journey in holistic health? I don't even remember who asked this question. Again, I don't put the names there, right? But generally, I have five tips. And I put together these five tips because... There are reasons why we fail when we begin our journey. How we begin our journey and the mindset we have in the beginning of our journey makes the utmost difference in whether you're going to be successful or not. So here are the five things that I really have listed out here. To make changes slowly, not drastically. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we make. We get up and say, I'm going to lose weight. You know, New Year's resolution or whatever we want to call it, mid-year resolution, whatever we want to call it, right? We're going to lose weight. We're going to build muscle. I'm going to, I'm going to look my best this year. And then two or three weeks later, you're like, are you back to what you were doing before? Because you're jumping from one extreme to the next. I've had people, not clients, of course, because you know you work with me, you're getting the best, right? But I've worked with, I've known people. I almost say work with people again. I know people who seems to just go back and forth with their weight and they never wonder, or they didn't necessarily wonder, they do wonder why. Because they say, you know, I've tried keto, but keto is crap. I've tried um, paleo, paleo is crap. I've tried cut my carbs. I've tried, you know, whatever, OMAD, right? And they all crap. But then the problem isn't, if you tried all these diets, it seems to work for other people, but don't work for you. Maybe the problem is the diet. It means the drastic change. Because there's so many things to consider when it comes to overall health. And not just weight management, but health in general outside of just cutting my calories and trying to lose weight. So slow and steady change is always going to be the most successful. When I was working on my gut health, 
And people know my story by now. It's been almost, it's actually almost over three years. I'm going on over three and a half years now that I'm off all my medications. I didn't just get up one day and just stop taking my medicine and just started going holistic. You know, I made gradual changes. And as I improved, I moved certain things out and I added more things in. Drastic changes. I'm sorry, gradual changes, not drastic changes. The next thing is slowly eliminate foods that could damage your health. And again, it goes back to drastic changes or drastic versus slow changes, right? Slowly eliminate foods. So instead of saying, saying you know what, I'm just not going to eat this stuff anymore. You remember, your body has been accustomed to eating that crappy food for God knows how long. You can't just take it out of your diet. Now, there are some people who are outliers who can get up and say they're just going to stop smoking. And that can work. However, for mere humans, which again, I don't always consider myself human. You know that, right? We, but seriously, we, we really don't, most of us can't just quit cold turkey like that. And Dr. Steve Gundry, one of my favorite doctors in the entire world, always says that what we don't do is more important than what we do. Meaning, by, by, by stuff we take in out of our diet has a big impact on things we add in. Because we have a prescription mindset. If I drink kombucha, would that make me healthy? Well, it can. But are you drinking kombucha with sugars? Are you eating donuts and cakes and pies every night? What are you doing? Like, if you do all that and you, then you, you're down in kombucha and red wine, that's not going to help you much. You can take the best supplements in the world. If you're still eating like crap, it's not going to help you as much. So slowly start to take the stuff out of your diet that's actually damaging your body, your health, and your gut are, is very important. Maybe every week, take something out, take something else out. Even people who are trying to go into ketosis, you know, the gradual change into ketosis for someone who's not fat adapted is much better than someone who says, you know, I'm going to go straight into ketosis. Because that's when the keto flu happens, really. You're shocking your body into ketosis. Now, some people can tough through it and be fine. But again, that's not for everybody. When I switch over into ketosis, I don't feel any difference. But for people who struggle with oxidating fat, when they try to switch over into ketosis, they may struggle or just burning fat in general because their bodies are not accustomed to that. The next thing is eat as natural as possible and eliminate processed foods, again, slowly, right? Because processed foods is our biggest enemies to our health, fitness, and our gut. Next is connect with nature and animals. This cannot be overlooked. We need, we are animals. Humans are animals and we forget that at the end of the day. And part of being animals that we need to connect with other animals and we need to connect with nature, grounding. We, you've heard me and other experts talk about this all the time. You know, the oxytocin, if, even if you don't have a pet, just spend time with, with animals can increase your oxytocin, which is extremely important for your health. They call it your, your, your cuddle hormone, but it really helps you in so many ways. We said I had on my show, uh, Zora the Explorer, yes. And she's saying that oxytocin is our superpower because it helps you to be more of a loving human being. And that's, by the way, even as men, we don't need to be testosterone-filled, lifting a million pounds all the time. Sometimes we need a little bit of oxytocin in our lives. So just think about that. The last tip is, um, this is a little selfish, but I have to say it. Listen to podcasts to learn more from other health experts. I did it. I know. I mean, I'm also, of course, talking here about my podcast, right? No matter what my experience, but seriously, when I started my health journey, I listened to Dr. Stephen Gundry, Sean Stevenson, Ben Greenfield, 
some of the top. I mean, Dr. Dave Asprey, like there's so many podcasters that I've listened to over the years who have helped me. And don't overlook that because not only do you get to hear that information, but you get to learn from other experts, maybe pick up books that they've written and you read it and say, hmm, this book is interesting. And you learn more and you can learn more. I learned so much by listening to podcasts or even going out and buying the books from the guests of the podcast. And those things have helped me in my journey tremendously. The next question is, this one is phrased a little differently. It's like, okay, how do you feel about this? I feel like my gut feels so much better on higher fat. I know that most bodybuilding diets are high carb, but I feel like when women do low fat, it messes with their hormones. So the question is kind of weird, a little weird because she was trying to say that, you know, she feels better on high fat or her gut is better on high fat. But, and, but at the same time, there are some bodybuilders who really go low fat, high carbs. But when women go low fat, they may mess with their hormones. Now, there are a lot of factors here. Like, I was trying to think, genetics, ancestral background, like I talk about all the time, right? But I list out a few things in the answer here. So one is high fat doesn't necessarily mean low carb, or people would be mindful of that. That's what people tend to confuse. I see, take lumen, for example. Lumen is the device that when you breathe into it, it reads the CO2 in your breath, which is basically the end product or the waste product of the Krebs cycle. And based on the CO2 level in your breath, it tells you if you're burning fat or carbs. And then they give you nutrition advice to if you're a carb burner, to train your body to become a fat burner. If you're a fat burner, to train your body to become a, cap, a carb burner. And then so you can hit the sweet spot of being metabolically flexible. So I believe the person asked this question is from that group. You w- want to reach that, that, that stage, right, of metabolic flexibility, where when you eat fat, you burn fat. When you eat carb, you burn carb. One of the biggest mistakes, and it comes back to what I'm talking about making drastic changes, is that we get so caught up in low fat, high carb. And or low carb or low, I said low fat, high carb or low carb, high fat or something like that. that We get just so tied up into that. Right. But in actuality, we want to hit that sweet spot. There are times we need to do either one. And that's a different, we probably have a short on that one day. But the goal is to be in that sweet spot where when you eat carbs, you burn carbs and you eat fat, you burn fat. And that comes down to having the right gut enzymes to be able to do that. Right. Now, to answer this question, though, and this is you, you are correct that most women do not do well on low fat diets, but most women don't do well on low carb either, especially during like their menstrual cycles or menopause. So both low fat or low carb can mess with your hormones. I'm giving an example, like some vitamins are water soluble and some are fat soluble. I'm looking at my script here and I, and I said gas soluble for some reason so let me just correct that so the show notes are correct but that's another reason why fat is important for optimal absorption even if you if you take a multivitamin but you're going extremely low fat remember some vitamins are fat soluble right so you got to think about that see fat also uses low information pathways in our mitochondria and let's say glucose which, as you know, keeping information low is vital for sustainable health. That's the reason why a lot of us feel better on a high fat, higher fat diet, because fat, especially if you're eating healthy fats, omega-3 fats, 
then you can you can seriously lower inflammation. Now, as far as the muscle building piece, I believe that you just need to eat enough so your muscles have enough glycogen for performance, recovery, and strength. And as a key reminder, our muscles store about, about four times more glycogen than our liver. So think of it as, I remember who I interviewed. I, actually, I was on her podcast and she mentioned that think of your muscles as suitcase, right? If you build lean muscle, the larger suitcases you have and the more glycogen you can store in those muscles. So the more space you have to store your glycogen. So that's why another reason I eat with women need to strength train because if you do a lot of, let's say a lot of cardio and you burn a lot of muscle because you haven't been strength training, yes, you lost a lot of weight, but you still lost a lot of muscle. When you, if say you don't work out as much or you eat more, you start eating more carbs, you, you won't have enough space to really, you can't really have to go low carb at that point because you won't have enough space to store that excess glycogen, which is going to convert to fat. But if you, you still need cardio and I've talked about this on my shows, but if you build lean muscle, enough lean muscle. After you have enough blood glucose, that excess glycogen will be stored in your liver and muscles. But I'm focusing on the muscle part. You have enough muscles to store that is less likely to convert to fat. Now, if you eat more than you can store, then that's a different story because then, then it's going to convert. But if you don't eat more than you can store, then you're fine. And then in the time of times that you may even go low carb and I do this, there are times that I go lower carb to deplete my muscle glycogen stores. But there are also times when I eat more carbs to fill up that fill that up. And I have and I have a short on that actually on carb cycling. So you can check that out. I may have a more detailed uh, short on that eventually to explain that theory. But a lot of times it comes to carbs is timing. You're eating too many carbs for what the type of way that you're training, I should say. So you're eating too many carbs for the way that you're training and you don't have enough muscle mass to store the the excess glycogen here's another question it says and the question the question three so okay, i think i have only five on here hey zico curious about your thoughts on kombucha i just listened to the acv short would you recommend also taking acv i try to take kombucha a handful of times a week so maybe acv on the days i don't drink it just wondering thanks and then love your pod i like that at the end right that's beautiful so my answer is kombucha can be a healthy drink. Kombucha provides your gut healthy probiotics, which is vital for optimal gut health. Sorry for that pause. I was correcting something else. Apparently, I, I when I'm writing, sometimes I just, for some reason, ah, human. Or maybe I'm not human. I don't know. But I do make human errors. I guess I am human. But the issue is that most kombucha on the market are loaded with added sugar, which limits probiotic benefits. So that's something to think about. We take a healthy drink and we add sugars to it. I'm like, come on now. So I find it easier in most cases to eat fermented foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, kefir, and yogurt. With And with yogurt, I make sure it's with live active cultures because they have probiotic benefits. So think about that. And with yogurt, Greek yogurt, you want to make sure it doesn't have any added sugars either. So just be mindful of that because it really doesn't, the, the added sugars doesn't do anything good, healthy for your body. And some experts believe that with you, just like kombucha with added sugars, if you eat yogurt with added sugars, you're really not getting any benefits at all because one is really counteracting the other. So whenever you go buy a Greek yogurt, just slip it back and make sure that it doesn't have any added sugars. And for some people, there are some health issues that you, that, 
people with certain health issues may have a hard time with fermented foods. So just be mindful of that as well. And do a little bit of research before you make it. You start diving into get eating fermented foods. But for most most of us, especially healthy adults, it can be very useful, very good, very good for our diets and our health. You know what I say? Whatever is good for the gut is good for the health, right? The next one is question four. I'm on medication to control tachycardia, which was added, an added side effect of lowering my heart rate by about 20 beats per minute. How do I adjust for calculating my max heart rate? Can I just subtract 20 for my age adjusted rate? Also, and she said off topic, do you know a formula other than BMI for calculate, calculating ideal body weight? I've Googled and can't find anything. I've done some calculations based on my body composition analysis and found body, body fat percentage recommendations, but can't find any information on it. I've I've had to lose, what she said, I've I've had to lose a lot of muscle mass to have a healthy BMI. So I don't know how to set a realistic goal for my weight. Sorry for that mess up there. I'll just make sure I'm reading it right. So my answer here is in your situation, you about it. I think this person read my article on intent workout intensity and, and uh, weight loss. And you can access the article on ZikaHealth.com. And part of it, I did mention how to calculate your heart rate for optimal training. And I gave a few formulas, right? And I think the answer I'm going to give here is one of the answers, one of the formulas or, or te techniques I mentioned in the in the article. But anyway, go to zkhealth.com, check out our article. So Brian says, in your situation, you could minus 20 from your max, but since you are a unique butterfly, you can do a little more work to get it accurate as long as your doctor is okay with it. So this is more like a stress test, right? And again, I've mentioned that in the article. You can warm up thoroughly. So you will start sweating. Do two intervals, each four minutes long. During the intervals, you should be short of breath to talk. Intersperse each interval with three minutes of active rest. Then start the third interval, but two minutes in, increase your speed even further until you're too exhausted to continue. Your HR max will be the highest rate you reach. The heart will reach a plateau, which it cannot beat any faster, regardless of how much you increase your load. Now, if that's hard to, to follow, the show notes, that one, two, three will be in the show notes, so you can pull it up and read it and follow it, Okay. The show notes, of course, are going to be zikahealth.com dash QA5. So I knew, I knew show notes are pretty easy. Now, regarding the second question, you will not find an answer for healthy BMI. It gets tricky. First, start with body fat percentage. You may already know this, but 14 to 20% is a good range for most women. I actually have a short unhealthy body fat percentage coming up as well. I think in a few more weeks. Or if it, if or I have no, actually, I I think I released it last week, but it's around this time, within a few weeks of this episode. If you're within a healthy body fat percentage, aim not to stay within a healthy, not to stay within a healthy range of about twenty to twenty four point nine. So what I'm saying, what I'm saying is that I, I said that kind of confusing because you want to be healthy, but what I'm saying is try to stick between fourteen to twenty, which I think is more optimal. Than the 20 to 24.9, which may not necessarily be bad, 
But to be honest, I think trying to stick for between 14 to 20 for women, for most women, is okay. However, the lower your body fat percentage, the more you can go about or go above the recommended BMI. So basically what I'm saying, the more lean muscle mass you have, the more you can go above the recommended BMI. That's why BMI only tells you one aspect. Because if you're above your BMI, but you're really carrying more body fat, that's different than someone that's above their BMI who's carrying more lean muscle at the same time. You don't, and it gets a little tricky right there, right? Because then it's not just a BMI thing, but at the same time, you want to not have your BMI extremely high because at some point you're putting too much pressure on your organs, but you can go above it a little bit based on your body fat percentage and whether you're carrying lean muscle or not. And that finishes off by saying that your head is in the right place. You may consider working on building more lean muscle since your body fat percentage should drop as a result, which again, I've talked about this all the time again, building lean muscle, right? Oh, something else I, did, I mentioned this in this that I didn't say. In theory, women can get to about 25 to 28 as an extreme, but in most cases, you're pushing it unnecessarily. Again, that's talking about BMI. Right. So BMI is a is is an okay measurement, but it's only really an issue if you are carrying more body fat than you should. That's what I'm saying. And the last question is why do I why do my knees tend to collapse inward when I get tired, especially when squatting? And how can I change it? So my answer to this was we call this knee valgus. Knee valgus is basically characterized by your knees collapsing inward when your hip flexes, right? So if you imagine somebody working out, like say squatting and their knees fall in, that's not a good thing. Now, you may notice this, that opposite side of your pelvis may also collapse downward. So you may, you may collapse downward and your knees come in and, you know, you may think you're squatting a lot of weight, but your form is completely off and you're putting a lot of pressure on your, on your hips and your knees and eventually it can lead to a lot of issues. So you can see these more often like squats, lunges, jumps, landing, and descending steps. Knee valgus results from a combination of femoral and tibial motions, which can be influenced by the joints proximal and dis distal to the knee, including trunk, hip, and ankle. So a lack of femoral control can result in excessive adduction and internal rotation, which can stress your ACL. So... Really, I'm just going to get to the answer of this. Strengthen the knee and hip muscles can improve valgus knee and performing squat with resistant band can help to improve function. So knee valgus tends to really, can really tend to happen when lowering or rising out of the bottom of a squat. That's really when you tend to see. When you come back up, it's, you kind of tend to see when you're pushing tension, right? You, 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 you collapse your, your, your hip is basically like push them downward and then you collapse your knees inward to try to push the weight up and then you're not using it really you're not really not using your hamstring very well and that's extremely dangerous so one of the things i've even had my clients do is like put like bands around their legs when they're um squatting and tell them to keep the pressure on the bands the whole time and if they can't do that then the weight's too heavy so yeah so resistant bands are great tools to help to correct nominee valgus and provide strength to your hip, hip muscles. Even in your warm-ups, I can use the bands and warm up that area. 
before training. That can be a very, I've had people do it and say, oh, my butt hurts. Yeah, that's the whole point because you're strengthening your hip, your hip flexor muscles, and also activating your glutes before you train. So strengthening the knee and hip muscles can improve valgus knee and performing a squat with resistance band can help to improve that function. And that's my answer to number five. Thank you very much for joining, fam. I'm going to put, I'm thinking the link to the Zico recommendation page in this episode. So you can click on it and see all the products I recommend for fitness, health, and fat loss. But thank you much for joining. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for joining the Matter Over Mind experience. If you got good content out of this or any of my shows, save, subscribe, and share it with anyone who needs this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.